iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. everyone this is the ruck from the times and the sunday times welcome back we've hit the first break in the gallagher premiership this season eight rounds gone and it's time to turn our attention to europe so lots coming up on the podcast hope you're all well i'm alfie reynolds and will kelleher is with me once again hello hello Hello. we've got a new guest alfie in the studio (laughs) it's a big return Get the trumpets out. Alex Lowe, how are you? Well, definitely feel stronger than I was last time I came on. I heard a clip of my last appearance in the week of the World Cup final and I sounded awful. You were walking (laughs) wounded in France for about half the tournament. I was, yeah. I was popping painkillers for about a month. But anyway, back fighting fit, all good. How is the ankle? Oh, yeah, we're good now, thank you. Yeah, all, <laughs> I'm almost back on the paddle court, so look out. Oh, OK. Yeah. He's brought bacon sandwiches for everyone in the studio this, today as well. I've heard rumours that it's something to do with Jeff Stelling, but I think everyone was like, oh, Alex is back Alex on the pod. Like, yeah, I, was, I walked Sausage, in to bacon. like a party in the talk sport studios. Bucks Fizz. Bucks Fizz, Haribo, bacon rolls. I was like, wow, this is quite nice. I didn't, didn't <laughs> know I missed that much. Yeah, <laughs> turns out for Jeff Stelling. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff Stelling's debut on The Breakfast Show. But uh, <laughs> there we go. So coming up on today's pod, uh, we're going to look back on the Gallagher Premiership, as I mentioned. Myself and Will have also had a chat with Bath's Charlie Yules about their strong start to the season, a little look ahead to Europe as well. Uh, We'll touch on all the other bits and bobs in the world of rugby and, of course, we'll name our god or goddess of the week as well. But before all of that, last week you'd have known that Owen Farrell announced he was taking a break from international rugby to prioritise his and his family's well-being. He's copped a lot of abuse in his career most recently following that red card in the build-up to the World Cup. And so... Let's start with this, Alex and Will. The interesting thing about this story is that it quite quickly developed into not just Farrell stepping away from the international rugby for a little while, but the media's role in that and and in the abuse he's received on social media and in the whole discussion around Owen Farrell. Mark McCall came out and said in his pre-match presser that the media was a, a contributing factor. So... I suppose, where should we start on this? How fair is it to, to look at the media and look at everything around Owen Farrell as being part of the reason for that? Well, Mark McCall said it was all basically because of the mainstream media. So I, when the news broke on Wednesday, I, I had a long think about it. And, and I, in my initial piece that I filed on, on the situation, started to reflect on about a year to when Farrell won his 100th cap. And like Will wrote a, a piece on sort of who is Owen Farrell and uncovered little stories about his personality that, that we didn't know. And, and he, I remember him sitting there in the room at Penny Hill Park and he said, I'm not, he said something like, you're not used to people being nice to you. And at the time, it felt like this, the guy who's, who's actually never happy being front and centre. He's such a team man, sort of trying to be a bit bashful and brushing it to one side. But that comment came straight back to me in a slightly, it felt a bit more poignant. And then we'd seen over the course of the year, he was caught in the middle of a firestorm around his his, his red card. So he got he got sent off for another dangerous tackle. But then the way that that, that, that process was handled left him, left him hung out to dry, really. There was a lot of commentary around it. But as I was sitting there thinking this through, I was like, well, actually, the commentary was all around the process. Certainly in our pages, it was all around the process, not around him. And then at the end of it, 
in the week of the the bronze medal match when after Tom Curry had had been on the receiving end of online abuse, Owen Farrell took to the stage to to defend his teammate and and call this out as being abhorrent. And even in the room that day, I remember thinking, this is coming from a deeper place than we normally hear from Owen Farrell. But my instinct as I as I wrote this piece was was that that, that we've got to differentiate between legitimate rugby commentary of which he's been at the centre for 13 years, which must also be wearing, I think we have to acknowledge that, and abuse. Now, the next day, Mark McCall came out and said, actually, social media is social media, but you guys have to bear a responsibility. He said, the perception of Owen Farrell that everyone sees is not the, is not the person I know. And that, I think, has made a lot of us sort of stop and, stop and think. We'll come on to it, but I, I think the whole subject is way more nuanced than just Mark McCall saying... It's the media's fault. I think I think Saracens and, and the RFU need to look at how they have failed to properly advise Owen through the period of his career. I'll, I'll explain more on that in a sec. Yeah, it's, it has been an interesting few days, hasn't it, Alex? And lots of our, each other and our colleagues and maybe with, even with our officers have been kind of talking about it because I think it is one of those where when someone like Mark McCall puts a lot of blame at our door, we're not just going to react in a childish way and go, no, it's not us. Mm. Come on, that's ridiculous. I think we are actually being quite reflective over the last few days. I've definitely had lots of conversations with other journalists, and I'm sure you have too, about where we think we've stood in the whole debate. And I think we, it is actually something we we should take seriously. And I think the media, whatever that means, which is quite a broad church, isn't it, does have some learnings, let's say, let's use the rugby phrase, about how we dress things up or jazz things up or spice things up or write things in headlines. I personally don't think the industry generally are that kind to their journalists sometimes with we're the people out on the field who have to have the relationship with players and coaches and stuff like that. And there are our colleagues in the office who don't have that relationship who are slightly one removed. And sometimes that can be a fraught relationship when you put headlines and things and all that. Because you don't write your own headline. I know a lot of people know this. And I know that's a well-worn phrase and sounds like an excuse and stuff like that. But some of that is part of it, isn't it? If if you look at in this building, let's just take... So Stuart Barnes and Stephen Jones, our, our colleagues, our pod friends, as an example, Stuart has largely been in the in the camp that he would rather a Danny Cipriani or a George Ford or a Marcus Smith play at fly half for England and there's been a lot of conversation on social media about Barnes as part of the problem he fans the, the anti-Farrell flames but you've got to be more intelligent about it because Stephen Jones in the same pages and on the same podcast is one of the most staunch fans of Owen Farrell that there is in the game so this is all a conversation this is a debate about rugby and leadership and selection i think that's all very fair i where where it's difficult because i i think the blame game the blame game doesn't help because there's a guy in the middle who's clearly feeling what he's feeling and and that has to be respected when it comes to to what mark mccall said about the character of owen farrell that is that is seen by the public is not the guy who he knows and, and we have to ask why why that is and we collectively in, in the in the mainstream media f- for whom it's our profession can only cover the person who we see whether that's the guy on the field uber competitive england's greatest point scorer 112 caps for england three lions tours an incredible competitor that is the guy who everyone sees and the person who we know off the field which as, as we said before is is a very very he, he's never been comfortable sharing much about himself up until the last couple of years which is perfectly his right he doesn't have to he's not a, a celebrity in that sense he's not a, a um 
an influencer. He's a rugby player who happens to be really good and in this position. Now, the side that Mark McCall sees and is upset that hasn't been, isn't more widely recognised, isn't a side that Owen Farrell's ever wanted to share. The point I made earlier, and a few people have said this to me from within the game, this isn't just my opinion from the outside, Owen has, Owen has been the face of English rugby for a decade. You ask anyone who's new to the game, who do they know? They know Owen Farrell. He gets online and in, and in stadiums the kind of attention that a footballer would get. But a footballer exists in with you know, none of which, by the way, is is appropriate, obviously. But a footballer exists in a quite sophisticated sport with mechanisms for for, for managing that and dealing with it. And while Owen has doesn't have any responsibility to share more of himself, I do feel that the game needs to look at the support and advice that he received through the course of that period while the, the two versions of him were becoming more diverged. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think quite a good another example of this is something you mentioned to me when we were messaging over the weekend, Will, which is if you compare with someone like Dan Bigger, for example, who Great example, has yeah. a lot of similar traits to Farrell, absolute competitor, brilliant player, doesn't always articulate himself to referees in the way that people find palatable, but actually will, and you'll know this because you've got quite a good relationship with him and we've had him on the podcast before, has been very good, I think, at being in the media and talking to the media mm. and allowing people an opportunity to see what he's really like. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's as you said, kind of got all the same traits and qualities on the field as Owen, but off the pitch has become this kind of incredibly affable, thoughtful, engaging person with the media, hasn't he? And we've had him on the pod a couple of times and he's always brilliant to deal with. It's hard because we don't know Owen very well to sort of assume things about his character that we're guessing on, but my sort of assumption has often been that I think actually, in public at least, he's actually quite shy. And mm. he's he's sort of grown up in a in a completely elite rugby environment since the day he was born because of his dad. So that's his comfort zone. He knows everything about the inside of dressing rooms and stuff like that. And all the other stuff that came to him quite early, when he's 17, he was in the Antares team, has all been a real learning experience for him, for someone who's not comfortable in that situation. But I think, and I also probably, he maybe had the perception that he got burned early, perhaps around the 2015 World Cup and the whole thing around his dad and talk about nepotism that was used at the time as a stick to beat them with. Um, and so thought, well, maybe I'll just pull out the walls and, and shut up and I won't give them anything. But as you said, Alex, I think players and coaches who say, oh, you never see the Owen, the real Owen, we sort of, I always think, well, how can we? Because we, he's never really yeah. tried to show it and well, he's never been helped to. I think that's the thing, because it's not, no one is saying Owen's at fault for the what he currently, yeah. What he what he's been through and what he currently feels. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that rugby, uh, the rugby industry, I don't believe has been sophisticated enough or advanced enough to help him. I remember being at Saracens a few years back, and he was doing an interview with a with a very well respected interviewer. And then when the piece appeared on the weekend, it was it didn't really tell me anything. And I later discovered that afterwards had been a, a request for a lot of a lot of bits to, to not be included because they were a bit too about the family and. And that, and that's where I feel a more, some more sophisticated support would have been to just tell Owen, "Don't worry, that's that's a good thing. Like, that, this will help. This will help balance out what everyone sees on, on the field." Like th- that's the point I'm making. I'm not saying that any of this is is, yeah. is the guy's fault, and how he feels is his fault in any way. It's more. I just I think rugby can learn a massive lesson. From, and I and I think we this. can as the media too, because I think I don't know. I haven't been 
covering Owen's career for the entirety have done quite a lot of it. But I don't know if we as a group have ever gone to the RFU or Saracens and go, it's not working here, let's have a talk about how we can improve things and bring more of Owen's character out there. And I hope one of the legacies that comes from this is that in 10 years' time, the next Owen Farrell, the next England captain, doesn't get to a position where he's in his early 30s and has had no rela- no relationship with any of the people who've been covering everything from his debut to his 50th to his 100th and will be there for his retirement. That's True. what I hope will happen from this. Equally, sport is passion and opinion. We all love sport because it drives our passion and we all have a view on how our team is playing or who should be playing in the team and that can't that doesn't stop that can't stop because that is mm. you know that is sport that's why we love it. So reasoned balanced some people will say one thing some people can perfectly legitimately say the opposite. That will continue. That is the landscape. That's the territory in which in which they operate and which we operate and which all the fans are operating when they you know when they're in the bars and in the stands. That's legitimate. That's part of the deal. The final point I'll say which you've both referenced I think in this conversation as well is this kind of branding of the media as one well, big entity well. which is maybe another conversation it's but it's always something I find frustrating because we're all in the media but I would say I come from a broadcast side which is very different to you guys on the paper side you've got a podcasting platform that we're all on now you have content creators you so it covers so many different things and I wonder whether eventually I don't know if it'll happen but getting to kind of more specific language might be helpful as well. well like but... former players who do podcasts and they've only just recently retired would never ever ever say and be almost allergic to calling themselves the media or a journalist and actually talk about the media as if they're not part of it mm. and you're like well what are you doing if you're not part of it so yeah it's always been a problem and some of it is an easy broad brush to just tar us all with because it's oh you lot the media and uh... Yeah, I mean, uh, Alfie's trying to wrap up this conversation because we're going to use up the whole pod. But, <laughs> but it's yeah, we could go on forever. But but we could. But let's I mean, pick out one example where it, it's really unhelpful for those of us who try to be balanced, fact check everything, not be sensationalist, but be in, insightful. During the World Cup, uh, Andy Good, ex-player with his own pod and, and a column on a website, wrote that there'd been this massive bust up between Owen Farrell and and Henry Arundel. We ascertained pretty quickly that there hadn't been. So well, certainly not to the nature that was suggested. Not, no, I mean, bust up in anyone's mind is... Throwing like, punches. Well, at the very least, it's like grappling, you know, yeah. grab your collar, heated words, you know, a falling out. As far as we could ascertain, there wasn't. So we didn't go anywhere near it. And yet, there's a perception within the squad that the media have covered this story, have created this, this row where, where one didn't exist. Now, Andy heard what he heard, and he wrote what he wrote, I think you've got to be careful between people who will try and get to the very bottom of it and fact check and and stories like that which can build a life of their own but aren't really aren't that to me that isn't a mainstream media example. But it all gets thrown in in but the same gets, pot. Yeah, people, exactly. And, and you know, you can, players don't. It's not their responsibility to understand the difference, but there is a difference. Yeah, just to kind of wrap it all together, I think especially after it was announced he was stepping back, there would be a lot of people on social media who will find articles and say, "Look, here's six times that you were negative about him but I I would like to put the context on it and I feel there has been a a huge showering of praise for Owen Farrell over his career in the main but he was a starting 10 on the 2017 lines ahead of Johnny Sexton and that was never really a debate they then shoehorned Farrell to 12 to get Sexton in but 
he was absolutely the man. Like European Player of the Year, Champions Cup winner, left, right, and centre. The goal kicker, kick, kick key of, goals on yeah. That he was in people's teams of the decade for the 2010s. So I think to say that his whole 13, 15 years of his career has all been negative is is wider the mark. Definitely, like he's 100 percent been a celebrated international and has got huge amounts of support over that time. So just to find, but maybe not the respect you would. You would um... The respect you would expect yeah. England's leading point scorer, Cap Centurion, to receive. Yeah. You think that's fair? Yeah, I do. I do, I do. And, and it's a debate for another day, but so much of it comes down to style, doesn't it? And I've said a few times, I think, before on the podcast that England has a weird relationship with its most cap players, whereas in Wales, you look at the list of their 100 cappers, and they're all, these are our gods of our sport, and or All Blacks or Springboks who've made it. Whereas England, it almost... By the time they're at the end of their career, everyone goes, yeah, well, they've been rubbish for five years or whatever. And maybe it's just because there's more players in England and there's always a debate over who could play in those positions. So many people, when I wrote Ben Young's piece at the World Cup when he announced his retirement, so many of the comments were like, well, he shouldn't have been in the team for the last four years. Yeah, "Yeah, but he was. And And what a great career sticking in. Did I not fall out with Jonesy on the pod over it? There there was some (laughs) strong conversations. It was after the World Cup... Uh, yeah, our, our post World Cup final pop right. where everyone was knackered, That's right. where tensions were a little high. Someone after said that, to yeah. me the other day, "I thought you two had fallen out." We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all friends. We are all friends, and as we said, it it is a nuanced conversation. But we'll park it there for the time being. Next up, we will get into the on-field action over the weekend, and we'll start off in the Gallagher Premiership. So into the Premiership then. Should we start on Sunday, start at the end of the weekend? Leicester 47, Newcastle 3. And talking of headlines, actually, after our last (laughs) section, Alex Lowe, what is the point of Newcastle? Something that you speak about in the article as well. But a lot of people, I think, have been speaking about this with Newcastle now. You look at the the table, played eight, lost eight. Alex Codling post-match as well, pretty downbeat about just where Newcastle Falcons are at this moment in time yeah and again so that I, I posted a link to the the piece on my way home from Leicester yesterday and a few angry readers were like that is the most disrespectful question headline the question of it's obviously not what's the point of Newcastle as in why do we even have them obviously we want them to it's exist like, and be successful what is yeah. their purpose yeah right now what's the, what's the point that they're trying what are they trying to achieve here and so they I mean that was a game for 12 minutes. Newcastle get into the Leicester 22, uh, have three goes at the line, get repelled three times. Leicester chancing their arm, concede a couple of penalties. Uh, eventually, Newcastle just kind of accept the three points. Leicester would have gone, well, we've won that. We've won that ba- battle. Went straight down the other end, scored the first trial for, for driving Morland, and that was it. And afterwards, Alex Codling looked just emotionally exhausted. He says he's doing 100-hour weeks, his family are in Northern Ireland, he hasn't seen them for four months. You could argue, surely he knew what he was taking on at Newcastle, but the reality is they've played eight games, they've lost eight games, and they don't have a squad that can compete. They don't have carriers, they don't have experience, and they're spending way below the salary cap. Now, his job is performance, and he said after the game, the club has to look at its strategy for the future. The flip side of it, of course, is that they've worked out what their strategy is at the moment, which is let's not go bust. Newcastle, their strategy is to just exist in a premiership that has no relegation this season or almost certainly has no relegation and not go bust. 
nobody wants them to go bust, hence my the, my point in the beginning. This isn't a question about why do they even exist. They exist for lots of really important reasons. Great history, both in the Prem and before the Prem, really important geographically to England, to, to English professional rugby. But there's clearly a debate now within the club, what is the point, what are they trying to achieve here? Because just by existing, they're not winning and then that has a knock-on impact on, on the Premiership itself because you could have turned off that game after 20 minutes, 25 minutes on, on Sunday. They're, they're cast adrift at the bottom. Does it not open the conversation to quite an interesting discussion of... So Newcastle at the moment, as we understand it, are trying to run things sustainably so yeah. that they don't go out of business, as you say. And rely on, on a, one of the other positives of them, which is, which is the academy. You know, they do produce mm. a lot of really good young players. But they're relying on them against seasoned pros. And against teams that, presumably, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't currently run sustainably and that they rely upon very wealthy benefactors to prop them up, essentially. And I suppose in an ideal world, you want somewhere in the middle where you have a competitive team that is sustainable. But is it a reflection of English rugby at the moment, really? Of course, yeah, absolutely. And I can understand why the owners have taken that view because they don't want to be the next Wasps or London Irish or Worcester and, and, and nobody does. Nobody wants that for Newcastle. So I totally understand that it's a prudent financial decision. And it does sum up English rugby at the moment, where, as Rob Baxter said last week, we're in a tough patch, and he, he backed the league to grow out of it. He, he backed the league. You stay patient and back the kids, that the premiership will come strong again. It will fill the void of the flood of players that are moving. Flood? Not quite a flood. Certainly a, Trickle. a flow <laughs> of players who are moving out of the premiership. That The game will replenish... Will, that talent, they'll grow more young players and then then the league w- will thrive. But there's a long time to wait for that to happen, I'd say. So I've got a, a, a figurative Mark Evans on my shoulder. And in addition to that, I've seen a lot of people going, the way it should work is that they're not good enough for this league, so, that, so they should drop into the one yeah. below and at their standard and then come back. The Mark Evans point, I would imagine, is what is the point in relegating Newcastle yeah. when they're trying to build a sustainable business with homegrown players largely. They got rid of probably some... Ex- like You saw Carl Ferns tweeting saying, well, he knew what he was coming into because they got rid of all the best forwards. Trevor Davidson. George McGuigan, yeah. Trevor Davidson, him and all that. But do you think, give it a couple of years. This is the whole point of the kind of <coughs> franchise model, isn't yeah. it? The, this is the sort... You, you watch the American sports. This is what they would do, is that there's no point just, especially for geographical reasons, bidding them off and saying, sorry, it didn't work. If they're trying to do it sustainably, you've could, got to then see the benefit could, for three years, four years' time. Is it the romantic scenario of having no relegation promotion? No, it's not. And a lot of people, again, responding to the match report, saying, you've asked the wrong question. The question is, why is there not relegation? That will force them to compete. And if they're not good enough, then they go down and the next team who are good enough come up. But as you know, as the history of professional rugby has proven in England, there aren't enough teams to make that system work. So let's just hypothetically say that Newcastle go down and Jersey come up, or Jersey have just gone bust anyway. But let's say they exist. Are they any better than the Newcastle? Like, they're probably of a similar level, but all you've done is knock Newcastle's opportunity to create a sustainable growing business by putting them in the, in the championship for a year at least. I just don't, I don't think that the English game at the moment is, is set up for natural promotion relegation because you can't build you can't build anything with, with that with that hanging over your shoulder now the other point that's that's been raised in the last 24 hours 
is that maybe the RFU should fund Newcastle because what we want are 10 competitive pro teams. And if one is one can't compete with the rest, then is it not beneficial to the Premiership or the RFU to, to give them a funding boost? It's kind of that franchise American sports idea again, isn't it? You help the team at the you bottom. You help the weakest to, to create as level a playing field as, as possible. Um, again, it's a nice vision right now. As we saw with, even though they've got I mean, about 150 million quid in the bank, the RFU, mm. they keep you that in reserves. They didn't invest it into the, the three clubs, four clubs that have already gone bust. There isn't a mechanism for the RFU to, to fund Newcastle. And if they're going to fund Newcastle, Leicester will, Leicester's owners will say, well, we've just had to power in an emergency 10 million quid. So we need the funding as well. And the Tony me- Rose had to flip a hotel and next Tony to the ground. Ro- yeah, and so, he go, well, hang on. We just, I'm, I'm so that, that argument doesn't, doesn't hold at the moment. Another element of this professional game partnership is that there's going to be effectively a new governing body running professional rugby in England. So we're told. If there is a proper governing body that unites club and country to run professional rugby in England, so all funding, all commercial, all TV deals go through that central body, then there's a different conversation because then then that body might might decide to increase the funding to these clubs, might decide to bail out a team that's in trouble, might decide to create as competitive a playing field as possible. But that, again, we're a long way from that happening. Well, just finally on Newcastle, our very own John Westerby has done an interview with the Newcastle owner, Seymour Curdy. So that will be coming out. We don't have an exact date, but keep your eyes peeled for, for when that's... A... And, and that will... I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but from talking to John, in the same way as Alex Codling effectively represented the performance frustrations after the the Leicester game. Newcastle's ownership, Seymour Curdy, in his conversation with John, is going to outline the reasons behind the strategy that, that the club are taking and, and really, I guess, explain what the point of Newcastle is. So from the final game of the weekend, should we go back to the start, the Friday night? Will, we, you were at the, the stoop, absolutely freezing. <laughs> Harlequins 36, Sale 3, Great win for Quinns. My big question was why the ref was in Astros. Did anyone yeah. else pick up on this? Well, you texted me during the game really? and I got my binoculars out. And he, I thought he was wearing those like Copa Mundial type mouldy yeah. studs. He looked like he'd just come from Power League. But <laughs> looked like he was playing goals on the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, so firstly, interesting, they've, over the last couple of seasons, done this. Mathieu Reynaud's come and refed a couple of games. They often yeah. do it before Europe. They have a little exchange. So he was a French ref, Luke Ramos. But yeah, he was got the bi- the bins out, and you're right, he was wearing trainers. I thought that was even more fraught because it was getting frosty. Did yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't maybe know. He forgot his boots. Yeah, I don't. Well, That's I brilliant. thought that was interesting, but it got taken out of your match report I wrote as well. It in, didn't yeah, <laughs> I think I was about fifty words over, so that was the first thing that got that got. Were they cut. black or was it? Really yeah, they were black. Bright, yeah. Bright pink? black Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> 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 He's got his dad to buy him some really fancy <laughs> it's that, ones. Yeah. Like, oh, you got to be good if you got pink yeah, boots. But in terms of the game, I suppose on a serious note, the interesting question for me off the back of it, I know. Maybe it's unfair to focus on sale because Harlequins had such a good victory. But my big question off the back of this was, we've spoken up sale a lot and they are still top of the league, but the two defeats they've had, so 36-3 against Quinns and then... Thrashed by Exeter as well, weren't they? Beaten really heavily by Exeter yeah. as well. Just the nature of those two defeats, yeah. a bit of a concern for it sale. It was something Alex Sanderson talked about on the telly and then with us. Um, after the game and he sort of thought he was asked a question and he said well we've had a few good results in between those two so it's not like it's a sort of back to back something's wrong but a point he mentioned is that 
if you haven't got it in the top two inches in this sort of season, he used the phrase, you get served. And actually, I kind of, we kind of think we've seen that this, se- this season, and particularly this weekend. I know last weekend, Jonesy and I were talking about the URC and lots of blowout results, and then you look at... The Premiership hasn't done you any favour, has it, 51-26, 41-24, 47-3, and you go, oh. And I think some of it, like the Newcastle thing we've tackled, but some of it, I think, is in a league where everyone's quite similarly matched... If your pack is not on it, you get served. So the Quinn's pack were absolutely fizzing in a way they haven't been for a while. Like when they won the Prem, they weren't necessarily serving people up up front, but they had an incredibly strong scrum, which all the Jouet stuff was built on from yeah. Vulcalo, Collier, mm. and Marla. Whereas Cunningham South, Launchbury, Will Evans, Marla, they were absolutely belting people. Cunningham South, Sam Riley. I mean, really good. What a player! But they they often in Sale Quinns games, particularly up at Sale, you look at Quinns, you go, yeah, they don't want it. Mm. They don't want it. As we talked about last week, oh, tough trip up to Manchester under the motorway. Like, no, for some reason, likes it. Whereas it was one of those nights where you thought, mm, Quinns, if they're not here, a bit cold, a couple of them wearing tights, all that sort of reductive rubbish. But they were properly fizzing and up for it, and that was a big Sale pack. Like Cowan Dickey in there. Cobus Visa, the Dupriers, like it wasn't as if they had a callow set of forwards. But I think we're seeing here, you've got to have a scrum. We saw it in the World Cup, you've got to have a pack. You can have the best backs you like. Same with Bath. Like they it's one of the biggest served mis- up in the scrum. It's one of the biggest misconceptions generally in rugby, I, yeah. I feel, of, of teams, even if you want to look back at the last time Bath got to the Prem final mm. with some of the great rugby they played that year, it was off the back of having a good really set good piece. Scrum. From my point of view, of in terms of being a Bristol fan, when Bristol topped the league, I know they lost to Harlequins in that semi-final, but everyone spoke about the style of rugby they played. They had a really good pack, a good maul, good defensive mm. maul. It's kind of those aspects of the game that are so crucial. And you mentioned, Will, that maybe we didn't have as blockbuster games this weekend, but what the results have done, in particular defeats for Sale and Saracens, means you look at the table and the competitive balance of the table looks so intriguing because Sale are top on 27 points, Bath are second also on 27 points, then you've got Quinns on 26, Saracens on 25, Northampton on 25, Exeter 23 and Leicester on 20 who've now sort of come back into their own. Is it interesting too that the two of the teams who you associate with being the, the best attacking sides in the league, Quinns and Northampton, both won against last year's finalists mm. by turning up and playing on like on the edge definitely yeah they were both I thought Northampton I went to see Courtney Laws in the week and Courtney is just the most like laid back dude in the world like he's just he's so cool in every aspect and he's like I hate training every day I don't want to train <laughs> um, and we asked him about his performance the week before um, against Quinns they played Quinns and he was outstanding you were there yeah. he was outstanding yeah. and he was like just do it on autopilot to be honest because I don't even think I'm playing <laughs> that, that, I'm that well at the, playing that well at the moment I need to give myself a, a kick up the arse it's like he, his levels are, his natural level is so good and when he can drive that and get the rest of them fizzing like he just gets himself up to on a Saturday you saw what North, Northampton can do and, and they went they went into that game their mentality was Saracen's going to be there at the end of the year we know they're going to be there this is a game for us to prove that when we get there at the end of the year, we can do them. We can yeah. do better. We can do them, or whoever we play, we know we can we can do it. Because so often in recent times, Saints have made it to the last four and then just got pumped yeah. in the semis. Yeah, beaten comfortably. That was in semis, yeah. important psychological win you felt for Northampton. Massive yeah. stat. That it was credit to, B- to TNT for this because they said it on the end of the commentary. But I, I heard this, Saracens yeah. have only lost 
13 times in 11 years at what was Allianz Park and is now the Stonex, and five of them have been from Northampton, which you sort of wouldn't expect, would you? No. Some of them might have been in Six Nations times, but that was a proper, what we would call, roll your sleeves up win. Uh, yeah, I, I do find, I'm finding the Prem really interesting. Like I thought post-World Cup, I remember four years ago, came, we came back from Japan, it took me a while to get back into the Prem and, and, and enjoy the, the soap opera of it, if you like. What I'm really enjoying th- coming back from this World Cup is is the emergence of some players or the re-emergence of other players. I think Charlie Cunningham South, who we all knew knew of at, North, at London Irish, he's going to be in an England squad within a year, I reckon. If not the Six Nations, he'll go on tour. He's exactly the kind of player that England need. Could be a new Courtney in some ways. Could like be, big yeah. six, he can play eight, he can obviously. Play, he can play second row. Big he's really like granite a, carrier. aggressive on Friday in a good way. I mean, frankly, completely the opposite number eight to, to Alex Dombrandt. You know, which but they complemented each other really well in that system. In, yeah, in the Queen. I'm talking about from an England. Yeah, yeah. So watching him come through, I'm like, I'm excited about him. And then like the re-emergence of George Furbank. Yeah. At Northampton, who is not only smacking Andre Esterhazen and knocking yeah. him backwards, but you're seeing much more his emergence as a as a creator, playmaker. I know he's played ten and fifteen in, in back-to-back weeks, but. He's looking like the player that certainly Eddie Jones talked up when he picked him in mm. Paris for his debut, and he had a he had a wobbly, nervy day. That was a tough debut. That was a tough game to go oh, in on your really debut, tough. wasn't it? Yeah, and he's been on the fringes of England. He just looks like a different player. He looks physical, but he looks confident. You know, and, and Northampton play in a way that, that plays to his his strengths. And I also wonder whether, either deliberately or unconsciously. He's looked at England flirting with a playmaking fullback themselves in Marcus Smith and thought, well, I, you know, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And he is doing it. And yeah. you know, I just really enjoy watching him him and, and, and culling himself for, for opposite reasons. It's been, it's been cool. On Furbank, I've just Googled it. Do you guess how old he is? 28. 24. Okay, so you think he's 24 and you think he's 28. He's actually 27. Which is quite oh. interesting, isn't it? Because he oh, would have no. had his debut as 23, 24, yeah. when he was probably quite green and not played a lot. Yeah. Now he's grown into a role where you think, okay, yeah, he's probably got, what, 80, 100-odd Prem games, and that's a good thing. And maybe we're learning with all these World Cup things and bringing the context back is that it's fine to be in your 30s. Yeah, yeah. And it's fine to come to it slightly later. It's okay to not be amazing at 21 and just be ready completely. Like, cutting himself at the other end, he's yeah. very young. But... For people like, especially in playmaking positions, that growth is important, isn't it? So uh, it's, it'd be it's, cool to see him. Back, and I think we're, we're in. We're now in December, so next month, Steve Borthwick will pick a Six Nations squad. Six weeks, isn't it? Six five, weeks, six, five weeks. six weeks. And where he goes with it, we have no idea. But it's fascinating. Well, we mentioned so the Northampton game. So that was Saracens twelve, Northampton eighteen. We're going to come on to Bath, who beat Exeter forty-one twenty-four in just a moment. Myself and Will have caught up with their second row, Charlie Yule. So we'll get on to that in just a second. Final game to mention: Bristol fifty-one, Gloucester twenty-six. Alfie's and punching the air in the background. You can't see it. But. You know that I'm going to mention this game, but actually, <laughs> I mean, we will mention Bristol. But the the focus, the kind of story from it is Gloucester, really, isn't it? This season, I saw their CEO Alex Brown had an open letter to the fans on Sunday night. The most interesting line in that, I thought, was where he said, "I have no doubt whatsoever that everyone, player, coaches, staff, are dedicated to this club, to its success, and have the talent to help us collectively achieve it." So, giving the backing to the coaches, to George Skivington there. But you can understand, can't you, Gloucester fans feeling 
I suppose it's just a bit of where are we going? But it was the same. I, there were stories on on the day of the game that Pat Lamb was under pressure, five defeats in a row, and then they go and fifty point one of their West Country rivals. I know it's not very. They're all West Country around that way, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know. It's, I wonder so I about the psychology of, it, of for Gloucester having having seen winning positions nicked away from them at the death a couple of times, but once they fell behind quickly, it just sort of unravelled for them. That first half was was pretty brutal for them. Yeah, yeah, and I I like George. I hope George Givington succeeds. I like Don Wardock. I think you want these young, in coaching terms, young coaches to come in and. They're going to face the fire at times. It's going to be tough, but you want them to. I, I hope they succeed. Like I don't see the point really. I mean, the season's sort of gone for Gloucester in that sense. I'm not going to get in the playoffs to just sack George Givington and Don Wardock and those guys now. I, I think you'd be better off trying to help them steer them through it because the classic thing is they'll only learn from the experience. They should only be better do we, for it. Maybe it was the same conversation we had with Newcastle, but do we all? It's almost like we need a moratorium on coaches. Now that we've got this ten-team league, we're learning that it's pretty savage. Like yeah. we've had eight games already, we've only got ten left. Yeah, there's going to be a couple over Christmas, then a European break, then a massive break over the Six Nations period. But I think maybe there's only one game that overlaps with all of that. It's 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 harsh, and if you get on a, a run of defeats quickly, you're gone. Mm. So maybe we need to learn. Actually, the teams that are down the bottom don't necessarily have to be having awful seasons. There's only 10 teams in the league. Someone's going to have to finish 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th, oh, yeah. aren't they? So I don't know whether we all need to just be like, let's see it bed in over a season and a season and a half. And if it's still rubbish, the way sport works is if it's not working, something has to change, doesn't you, it? But I think right. that's I mean, so early for all of that uh, stuff. Other than Newcastle, who no one had any expectations for, there was always going to be a team in 9th, 8th, we all bad. thought we're going to yeah. be better than, than they have yeah. been. I think a lot of the frustration that Gloucester fans might say listening to this is it's not just this season. Yeah, it's also the way that they slipped away because yeah. they were kind of in the playoff race last year. And yeah, they're looking their, good. Their form in the latter part of the year was awful. So when you factor that in as well, actually, the run, and that's where I think the questions would be, where are they going? Final point before we hear from Charlie Eels, I wanted to mention on Bristol, is there a, a bigger reflection of where rugby and rugby attacks are than Harry Thacker becoming Bristol's all-time Premiership try scorer. Yeah, at the that's weekend, great stuff, over, overtaking David Lemmy. David Lemmy. Thanks to your notes. <laughs> Mind you, yeah. they spent a Bristol long time Lynch. out of the Premiership, didn't they? They did. Yeah, and he. But I, I think, like, I find it an interesting comparison of you know we know hookers score tries these days, right? Yeah. And you look at the player David Lemmy was to, oh, yeah, to and, you know, and, and his style of attack. To, I think I mean, hookers score tries. Thacker scores tries that hookers don't score as well. Yeah, mm. like he's. I love watching him play. Sort of the, the surfer on the rugby field. Yeah, I I love how he plays. The sort of pinball style. It, he scores tries that you know a lot of hookers just latch on the back of. Like George McGuigan when he was was it George McGuigan right up there yeah, the yeah. try scoring stakes in Newcastle la- almost every week. Yeah. yeah, latching on the back of of malls and, and touching down perfectly legit. But Thacker scores other tries as well. But yeah, I mean clearly. Just finally then, oh, we're going to hear from Charlie Yules now. Bath, good victory against Exeter. Bath second, yeah. heading into Europe. Heck of a start to the season. I like seeing Bath back up there. I am not. don't have a club myself. I'm not a fan. I just, there's just something nice to see a Bath team. Like they've they've been so frustrating, but they've got the balance really right now. And, and Finn, Finn Russell has sparked something in them. Ben Spencer is class. 
So good again. So, yeah, isn't he? That, the way he went round the blind side and sets up the Thock and the Seager try. Yeah. Awesome, loved that. I tell you what, you know, not everything is about England, but you look at Ollie Lawrence as an outside centre for Bath. England, the, the, because England don't have anyone inside centre at the moment. You know, we're, we're back to do they pick Maxi Jomo? Do they pick Dan Kelly? Do they pick Seb Atkinson for this? If you want to, if you want to pick a twelve, so we end up with Ollie Lawrence at, at twelve, where he's effective, but at thirteen outside. Max Jomo or Cameron Redpath, two different. I think he's looked he's looked so good, and and that kind of that line of Spencer Russell, Redpath or Jomo Lawrence, it's just been it's been brilliant, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also sorted out the pack. Back to what we were saying before: Thomas Detroit, Will Stewart destroying front rows, yeah. Abano back and fit. Yeah, thank yeah. God after yeah. so long. Tom Dunn's always been a good scrummaging hooker and. Sounds like they're signing RG Snayman for next season. Saw like that. beefing yeah. up the pack yeah. is helps, and that's what you get maybe and by they, they a African coach who used to coach Munster. And they want Henry Arundel to yeah to, yeah to join the join the party. Well, it's exciting times for Bath fans. Let's hear from the man himself in the camp. Earlier today, myself and Will caught up with their second row, Charlie Yules. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, Charlie... Great to speak to you. Uh, we were just chatting about it between Will, Alex and myself, but for Bath, top four heading into Europe. Just how happy a place is, is the training ground at the moment and what a difference it must make to coming into work on a Monday morning with the kind of start to the season that you've had. Yeah, no, it is good. Um, life's always better when you're winning. I've been involved in this club for a long period of time now and I've seen periods where we've, we've had periods of winning and I've, in more recent memories, there's been periods of losing. So... No, it's good, but I think the thing that's really pleasing and the thing that Johan will always say on a Monday morning is that we start again at zero. So whether it's been a win or a loss, the coaches and the environment is very consistent in terms of the feel and then what we do and the process of the week then looks very similar. So we're not we're not reactive to the result of the weekend. We're reactive to the performance and whether we did what we said we were going to do. And often if we, we do do those things, it leads to a win. And if we don't, then we often end up losing. So, yeah, it's very consistent from their side. 
how much power is in the mullet, Charlie? You come back from South Africa. <laughs> you, I'm surprised you're not speaking Afrikaans, mate. You, you got Biltong in the car and what? <laughs> no, no, I'm lost the plot. I, I, I think, I, we, we spoke when I was in South Africa. Yeah, we did, yeah. There was, period, there was a period of time where it looked like I was going to Australia, so I shaved the mullet in to try and fit in socially over there. <laughs> then then I'd, I knew, then I'd started, so I thought I'd continue. And now I think my wife quite likes it because every time I go to the barbers to go shave it off, she always tells me I don't have to if I don't want to. So I don't know, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck in a deadly cycle now. With, I, I need to just break it and shave it all off at some point. But oh. yeah, for the time being, it's here to stay. But. You, you, I know Tom Dunn did it for charity, didn't he? But you could do something like, we're not going to shave it until we win the league. There you go. Yeah, no, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't want to commit to anything live on air. But, <laughs> but, but I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll make a plan. I'll make, a, I'll make an exit plan. Yeah. And I'll find something yeah. yeah. On, a, on a more serious note, you spent that time in, in the Bulls um, on loan after your injury last year. What When you came back to the wreck and after you'd done some England stuff in the summer, what, what, did you sense something had changed or what did you see that had, I don't know, bedded in in attitude or something like that? Um, so I obviously, I, I'd watched... Uh, Johan and the group and stuff on the first year, obviously from the sidelines. Um, and went away, got myself sorted and then came back and it just, um, there was more belief in the group. There's like, confidence is a, is a funny thing and it's in sport, particularly like the amount of games where when we were in a bit of a down patch where actually you'd look back at the game and you'd played pretty well, but you just, and you'd lose by a couple of points, but no one had that game-winning moment in them. No one of the group didn't quite have the confidence or the belief or whatever it is. When people talk about winning becoming a habit or, or different or different ways of saying the same thing, we lacked that. We lacked that way to know how to either close out a game or win a game late. And I think now the group is believing that we can win, and, and but also believing that we can win because we understand how we need to play and what we need to do to do that. We're not just hoping. It's not just... I'll cross our fingers and let's hope the ball bounces the right way. There's no, let's stick to what we said we're going to do. And if we do that for long enough at the right intensity and make the right decisions, that that should give us a chance to win games. Um, so that, which is then is hard to put your finger on. Um, that definitely changed. And then there was just, a, there's a real good competition and a real good hunger in the squad. There's lots of players playing very well in different positions that are pushing each other to if I don't perform this weekend, well, the next guy is absolutely desperate to play and he's been training brilliantly or playing brilliantly. So he'll come in and he'll push the team on. Yeah, because you've, as we, we've spoken about off air, you've been there since, what, 2014? So nearly 10 years. And I've always looked at the outside and thought it's, it's never that Bath have had a bad squad or bad players or anything like that, but it's just been something, I don't know, last 5% that's maybe been off that means that you haven't, you've, you've been to a couple of semi-finals and stuff like that, but never that much higher. So is, is there, I don't know, something that, that you think has now suddenly clicked in with Johan that's taken a year or so that for his messages to get through perhaps? Yeah, oh, well, I'll say we've been to... So yeah, we've we've been to the prem final, but as you said, been to semi-finals. I mean, we we still haven't done anything. We yeah. still haven't won, we've won. We've won a few games, and we're sat near the top of the table after eight rounds. Like we still haven't achieved anything yet. So I can't sit here and say, yeah, it's all clicked and we found the winning formula. Maybe if we if we win the league for the next four years in a row, then we can have that <laughs> chat. But I just think, um, yeah, in terms of the reason that we're performing and winning well at the moment, it's because the training is very focused and direct. There's a very clear understanding. The squad is competitive. Um, and there's a clear understanding of how we want to play and what we want to do. And Charlie, I know it's 
it's a team game. It never comes down to one player. But naturally, at the start of this season, Finn Russell's got a lot of attention for the way that the attack's moving. I was wondering if you could just speak about him. What What's he kind of like in, in terms of a guy to have around the team throughout the week? And then also in terms of when it come, comes to game day as well, his impact there? Yeah, he's been he's been brilliant. I've been I've been super impressed with Finn. He's he's kind of what you'd expect. He's the way he plays the game with a smile on his face. He's, he's extremely relaxed in terms of in the games, but in terms of his detail in the week, he gets what he needs to get done. He understands how he needs to drive the team. He leads with his example, probably more than his words. And then he's also probably the jammiest bloke I've ever met in my life. Like <laughs> at the weekend, he deliberately kicks the ball into the post to make them knock on to give us a scrum so that he can play the pass to go and score in the corner like it's I've just he's he's just one of them but I guess the, the reason that I guess he, he he is like that is because he's got the skill set to make stuff happen and then beyond that as well it doesn't need to be going well for him for him to try it it like it can go wrong three times and he's still going to try it a fourth time if it's the right thing to do it's the right decision he's still going to back his skill set to give it a go on that foot you see other guys that are skillful and other guys that play the game like him but if it goes wrong once or twice maybe they go inside themselves a little bit and they think oh today's just not my day say it could go wrong three four or five times and he'll nail it on the six and he'll make you look silly on the six so that's been quite that's the opposite of me that's the opposite of how I play the game that's been quite refreshing to be around um we've had some interesting chats about how we view rugby and he respects my view of the game. I respect his view of the game. But I say that's you need those differing personalities in a team. And yeah, he's been he's been brilliant for us. Do you think he's helped in some ways loosen some of the pressure because he is so relaxed and, as you say, will make a mistake maybe and then brush it off and just try something else? Do you think he's, I don't know, helped ease the pressure across the whole field because of the way he is? Maybe, yeah. Maybe for some guys. But I think as well, if you had a team of... If you had a team of Finns, you'd be losing by forty points and still laughing. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I think you need, but you say, but you need, you need all of it because you need that balance to a team. So, and I say, not saying he's laughing and joking for eighty minutes. He obviously understands when it's time to go and when it's time. But his his default is to be relaxed. Mm. Um, but he can, and also the position he plays, he can play like that. If I, I'd be pretty worried going into a scrum of our front row, we're laughing and joking and being pretty relaxed. So again, you need those different personalities through the team. And again, yeah, maybe maybe before we would we put too much pressure on ourselves, we were too intense. He just helps to bring that down a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. There's obviously the leadership of a team is more than one person, as you said, and he's a part of that. He's obviously a big part of that because of the position he plays. But yeah, I think it's that. Yeah, it's that combined effort and it's the combined personalities and. And you're always talking and tweaking and reviewing and trying to find the sweet spot. We were too relaxed. We were too aroused. We were up. We were down. We were wherever we were. So, and we're always looking to tweak and try and find that sweet spot for the 80 minutes. Yeah. And talk to me about the work that's done in the in the pack too. Cause like you've added some beef in there with Thomas Detoy. Will Stewart's been playing very well. He was pretty dominant in scrum on the weekend, wasn't he? You guys like you've always had talent. You 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 yourself, Underhill, Barbary came back and scored a couple of tries, didn't you? But Finn can't do what he is doing, and Ben Spencer can't do what he's doing if you're not going forward and dominant. That's the, like rugby encapsulated, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And there's. Um... There's the set piece battle. There's the all the yeah. There's all the other things that open up the time and space for those guys to create the magic. So, yeah, the forwards have been have been brilliant. And again, that comes from or again, my belief of that is that comes from the way that we're training. And again, it's the okay. There's the guys that you see at the weekends. Ralphie Barbary, Sam's playing very well. The front row guys are playing very well. But the guys that you don't see are the guys that are going against those guys in the week and preparing them to play well. And the guys that are pushing them. 
So there's the guys that are, yeah, that are in the in the training session. So when we scrummage in a session, they wouldn't, um, Beno Abano and Will Stewart wouldn't be ready to scrummage like they are at the weekend if they're not being tested on a Tuesday and on a Thursday. So again, it always, in, in my opinion, it always comes back to the squad effort, the way that you train, the way that you prepare, then that allows people to flourish and be themselves at the weekend. And Charlie, I know we've got to let you go very, very shortly, but just a couple more for you. International rugby, the England setup, how big a motivator or desire is it for you now? I know you had your really bad knee injury, but to get back into the England team? Yeah, I would I would love to play for England again. That will always that will always be a goal of mine. That will always be um I for me that will always be the pinnacle of our sport. However, um, if I've learned anything, the, the, those things only happen off the back of focusing on the environment that you're in at the moment. If I keep pushing on, keep pushing my game forward, keep trying to help Bath win and play as well as I can, then hopefully that leads to further things. And But if it doesn't, then like I'm focused on the environment that I'm in. If I start worrying and drifting and let my mind think about those things, I can guarantee you I won't be as engaged, I won't play as well, and therefore those things won't happen. So yeah, as I say, it will always be a goal, it will always be... It will always be a dream and ambition, um, but my focus is firmly with Bath at the moment. And next up for Bath, Ulster, change to Europe. What's it like for players? Started great in the Prem and then sort of a change of competitions. that come at a nice time? It's exciting, yeah. It's the competition that I was so proud watching the team fight against Saracens to score those points uh, at the end of last season to give us a chance to be here. Um, so now we've got to, yeah, now we've got to make it count. And no, it's usually exciting. We get to test ourselves. We've got some of the best teams in the world in our pool. So we get to test ourselves and see exactly where we are. Charlie, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you both. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Next up, we'll finish the pod back to Alex, myself, and we'll little look ahead to Europe, some any other business as well. And of course, our God or Goddess of the Week. Well, great to speak to Charlie Yules. Nice to get an insight from the Bath camp. As we mentioned, great start to the season. They turn their attentions to Europe. Speaking of which, the Champions Cup is back. It's had another change. Will, should we try and outline for everyone what the Champions yeah, Cup let's do it. looks like now? Because, right. I mean, it is it, it has become one of those competitions, hasn't it? Of like trying to follow it and understand, right, where are we with pool stages, how many yeah. teams in the pool, who plays who, it it doesn't exactly help yourself. They, they lost the weekend during COVID and have never got it back, which has meant they've had to come up with ever more intricate yeah. formats. So it's it very slightly better, I think, this time. But yeah, let's explain so. it. So same number of teams, 24, four pools of six teams. You have no matches between clubs in the same league. So, for example, Sale and Leicester are in the same pool and they won't play each other. They're also in the pool of death because they've got Leinster, La Rochelle and Stade Francais to play. You play home or away against those other teams. So you end up with four matches. There's no home and away. You play You play all the teams who aren't in your domestic league. Yeah. Then what happens once. after the end of it is out of the six, four of them all go through to the last 16, which is a lot. The fifth place team of each pool goes down to the Challenge Cup to create the same last 16 as the Champions Cup and the sixth team drops out completely. So only the sixth teams are properly going home at the yeah, end of the pool Yeah, so you stages. have to be really bad and it pretty much lot, lose all your games to get knocked out. that last 16 round, work, they, they dropped it in during COVID, I think. Uh, yes. Or just after? Just after because and they did the two-legged one and they've dropped the second leg now. Oh, that's right. It was two-legged. It worked really well. Because you had like Montpellier Quinns that Quinn's lost but only by like 14 right, points away yeah, and then it right. made it a really interesting second leg but you're into knockouts I mean that's what 
That's what it's more knockout are. games. I mean, yeah, it's actually it's what the next World Cup will will have around mm. sixteen. So you're into knockouts. It was something we mentioned at the end of last week's pod, wasn't it? That the pool stages, I think, are messy, but you're almost waiting for the competition to come alive. And then we've had some great games, particularly finals and things March in recent and eight, years. Uh, April time get always is good. I think there's a we're just so used to you know everyone plays everyone. You know you play you play the same team home or away. Six Nations isn't like that. American sports aren't aren't like that. I mean they have their divisions where you play each other home and away, and then you just play a random selection of other teams mm. to fill up your fixture list. I, I, I'm not against you know I remember probably being on this pod discussing maybe the Prem you could just play each other once home or away, and yeah, as we were all discussing season structures and different ideas. Again, it's not what they do in football. It's not what's what's happened in traditionally in a in the European Cup or in a league season. But this is definitely an improvement, I'd say. Should we move on to, to God or Goddess of the Week to round things off? I can go first, if you like. I want to see, it's, it's an individual. It's Dearmud Barron, who's the Munster hooker, but it's more of a team award. One of their tries that they scored against Glasgow was sensational from their own 22 running move, and he was the one that finished it off in the corner. They beat Glasgow 40-29 in the URC, and because Leinster scored with the final player of the game to beat Connacht 22-24 in that game, it means Glasgow have been knocked off top spot. But yeah, the, the Munster hooker, Dearmond Barron, is uh, my god of the week. Uh, I'm going to pick Sarah Cox, who was the referee for um, Leicester Newcastle and just did a just did a brilliant job made all the all the right calls really accurate outstanding performance from her so worthy of a, my nomination I think Can I get, he's not going to be my god but I want to give an honourable mention to Asha Apoku Forjaw who is a young prop for sale 19 years old and it's, it's always tough with young players isn't it because you see them do one thing really well and you're like oh quick get him in the England team whatever let's be patient like especially with props yeah let's let him develop but he's a hell of a exciting prospect and they've got loads actually at sale and hopefully in a few days time I'm going to do a whole big piece around props I've been spending about a week speaking to exclusively front rowers which has been quite fun but the way he came off the Lots bench of grunting yeah no, they're, they're the most exciting people to <laughs> talk to as a, as really a prop are. yourself Alex no you know they really this. are they're the most interesting <laughs> so he, in the game. he's a hell of a prospect and came on and really did a number on Marla in one scrum and then Finn Baxter in another and Marla came off the field and was singing his praises which was cool to see I'm going to be I'm not actually going to give it to Marcus Smith even though he was brilliant I'm going to sort of give a collective award to the Quinns pack because I feel like they sort of went against their recent history of being a bit fair weather and a bit sort of I don't know we were joking during the game oh who are these northern softies who've come down and played the old gnarly old Londoners <laughs> they were brilliant and it's a sort of collective thing between Marla Sam Riley. Uh, Dylan Lewis, Joe Launchbury, you can name the whole pack, but and particularly Carlingham South, who I quite enjoyed the sort of like hilarious fight that they had where he ended up over the hoardings. But yeah. it just sort of showed that kind of we're not we're not gonna dip here. And it's not something you've seen from Quinns for a while. So it's a pack that stands up and to sale. Okay, well this has been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you. Feel nice. rusty or do you feel you were Right in your stride, uh, well, I don't week know. one. How did it come across? I, I feel give you maybe a, a six. bit rusty. Be I, kind. I'd say it wasn't the easiest pod to come back into with lots of things with the Owen they, yeah. Farrell situation, which is really delicate and nuanced. And that's that's tricky. But it's been great to be talking about exciting young players again. And there is a lot. There is a lot of good out there in the game to be excited about for sure. A lot of good stuff happening out there. Alex, welcome back. It's good to have you back as well. We will be back with you. 
next Monday as we look back on the return of the Champions Cup. So make sure you're subscribed to your pod wherever you get it from. And also, if you can leave us a review as well, that's always much appreciated. We'll see you next week. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.